It's 6 p.m., and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, July 6th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Several companies involved in the opioid crisis are offering up settlement money that will be used to help fund syringe exchange programs under a new state budget agreement. The California Report has the story. Then, after a look at local news and weather, KBMR's Kelly Reese speaks with Brittany Blake, a library assistant for the Grass Valley branch of the Nevada County Library, to learn about her top picks for summer reading. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California's syringe exchange programs will receive more than $60 million over four years in opioid settlement funds. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. Harm reduction groups rallied at the Capitol in May, worried that funding for syringe exchange programs might dry up. They called out the names of people lost to fatal overdoses. Hillary! Jake! Adam! Now, settlement money from companies that played a role in the opioid crisis will help fund syringe exchange programs under the new state budget agreement. This is exactly what the opioid settlement money was supposed to be used for. Denise Elric with the Harm Reduction Coalition of Santa Cruz County says it's the clear choice to help make this work sustainable. These programs help distribute naloxone, the medication used to reverse opioid overdoses. People ask if they can count on us. They can. We have to. We must. I mean, it would just be a a health catastrophe if we just didn't show up one Sunday night. The funding includes more than $15 million each year through June 2028. For the California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. And Santa Cruz County is reporting its first known overdose death related to the animal tranquilizer xylazine. The 35-year-old woman had traces of both that drug and fentanyl in her system. Xylazine, also known as Trank, can be deadly when mixed with fentanyl. California public health officials have warned about the increased use of the drug. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. If you live in the Central Valley or might be passing through over the summer, you might want to visit Fresno Chaffee Zoo's long-awaited Kingdoms of Asia exhibit. As KVPR Sarith Hawk reports, the exhibit's design was inspired by Cambodia's landmark Angkor Wat Temple. Traditional Cambodian music welcomes the arrival of a troupe of dancers. They're performing at an opening ceremony for the new Kingdoms of Asia exhibit. The women are draped in brightly colored skirts, ornate gold crowns, and jewelry. Their hands wave gracefully through the air. The ceremony continues with a group of Buddhist monks. 
They perform a water blessing with chants and sprinkles of holy water. The rituals are meant to bring good luck. Fresno Chaffee Zoo CEO John Dolan takes me on a tour. Step inside and this is so exciting. Right? He tilts his head up towards a dramatic stone entrance. Block by block, the structure looks like the ancient carved stones of Angkor Wat. It's considered one of the most important archaeological sites in Southeast Asia. Inside the exhibit, here, one of the first sightings is Malayan tigers. The water in the temple that is pooled up around these ruins brings the tiger right up to you eye to eye, face to face, to see these animals in the water because tigers, unlike what you think about cats, love the water. Another water exhibit features crocodiles. They use their long, narrow snouts to catch fish. We call them uh, Sundagarial. They're actually the second largest species of crocodile in the world after the Nile crocs. Sloth bears and otters share another nearby enclosure. The $38 million project is funded by Measure Z, a one-tenth cent county sales tax that benefits the zoo. It took just over two years to complete. The second phase of the exhibit will be done at the end of 2023, and that will bring the total cost to $46 million funding everything down to the smallest details. Every carving and statue in the exhibit has cultural significance. Dolan says all of it was carefully reviewed by a cultural advisory group. Our advisors are with us every step of the way saying, mm, not like that, must be like this. This is the significance of that, so you should do it this way. The group included members from Fresno's Cambodian, Thai, and Hmong communities. Fresno Police Sergeant Danny Kim was part of that group representing the Cambodian or Khmer community. Um, they want to make sure that some of the uh, placement of monuments and statues and even some of the names and, and so forth uh, in the exhibit uh, is appropriate to our culture, the Khmer culture. Kim says he's proud of the final outcome and the reaction of visitors so far. You can see their, their, their eyes. They're like, oh my God, this is amazing. They, they couldn't stop saying it. I, I want to take you into this room because I Dolan think says the exhibit's Education and Interpretation Center provides more cultural context. It highlights the story of immigration and how members of the Southeast Asian community came to the Central Valley. It reinforces that idea of like, yes, this is an incredible, unique story, but it's a quintessentially American story, right? Artifacts from Hmong and Thai cultures hang on the walls of the center. I mean, it's as much a story of people as it is animals. Exactly, and that, you know, that's not... Typically, certainly in the past, that's not usually how we've thought about zoo exhibits. Dolan says telling the story of the diverse Southeast Asian community is one of the most impactful parts of this new exhibit. Yes, circumstances, history, war forced us to leave our home, but in doing so, we came here and we found our home. For the Fresno Chaffee Zoo, Kingdoms of Asia brings that home to life. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk. And finally this morning, at least when it comes to transportation, are we closer to a Jetsons or Blade Runner future? Well, a California startup has reportedly received FAA certification to start testing what's supposed to be both a street and air legal flying car. Produced by Aleph Automotive, the car is being marketed as a dual use vehicle that can both fly and also be driven on public roads. The electric car slash plane has a ground range of 200 miles and a flying range of about 110. Aleph says it will start delivering vehicles to customers by the end of 2025. How much to get behind the wheel?
And that is the California Report for Thursday, July 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and let's talk tomorrow. In regional news, the Sacramento Bee reports that California has reached a deal with some of the nation's leading truck manufacturers that would make it easier for companies to meet the state's goal of 100% zero-emissions vehicle sales by 2036. The agreement was announced today by the California Air Resources Board and the Truck and Engine Manufacturers Association. It introduces compromises that would assist the trucking industry in meeting the state's emissions requirements while also enabling the state to achieve its climate goals. Leanne Randolph, the chair of the California Air Resources Board, said in a statement today that the, quote, unprecedented collaboration between California regulators and truck manufacturers marks a new era in our zero emission future. This agreement makes it clear that we have shared goals to tackle pollution and climate change and to ensure the success of truck owners and operators who provide critical services to California's economy. The Clean Truck Partnership, as the joint initiative is known, includes some of the country's largest truck engine manufacturers, and as a part of the agreement, the companies promise to uphold their commitment to 100% clean truck sales by 2036, even if the state's plan faces legal challenges in court. In exchange, regulators agreed to align California's rule for nitrogen oxide emissions with the Federal Environmental Protection Agency's 2027 standards, which are slightly less stringent. The EPA's rule cuts nitrogen oxide emissions in half by 2045. Engine Manufacturers Association President Jed Mandel said the following in a Thursday statement. This agreement reaffirms EMA's and its members' longstanding commitment to reducing emissions and to a zero-emissions commercial vehicle future. It demonstrates how EMA and CARB can work together to achieve shared plan clean air goals. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 57. Friday, sunny with a high near 82. Friday night, clear with a low around 56. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, clear with a low around 46. Friday, sunny with a high near 77. And Friday night, mostly clear with a low around 47. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 56. Friday, partly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 85. And Friday night, clear with a low around 55. Currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Have you started your summer reading yet? Well, if you're having trouble determining which book to pick first or what to read next, consider some recommendations from the Nevada County Library team. Coming up, KVMR's Kelly Reese speaks with Brittany Blake, a library assistant for the Grass Valley branch of the Nevada County Library, in this first installment of What You're Reading. I'm in the studio with Brittany Blake, who's a library assistant too at the Grass Valley branch of the Nevada County Library. Hi, Kelly. It's so nice to be here. And this is the first part in a new series from KVMR's News Desk, simply called What You're Reading. It's a little less heavy-hitting than some of our other content, 
And that's kind of nice for a change of pace as we dive into summer. The thought behind the series, Nevada County has how many libraries? We have five circulating libraries and one, the Doris Foley, which is for historical research. And they're packed full of resources. One such resource, they're librarians and library workers. And we want to hear what those library workers are reading and recommending and what fellow community readers are battling to get their hands on. Each What You're Reading segment will feature a different library worker or librarian with a different perspective. So if you don't hear recommendations up your alley on certain segments, there's always hope for next time. So thanks for being part of our inaugural What You're Reading. I'm so excited to be here. I love recommending books, so this is going to be a blast. Okay, summer's underway, and we finally have time to bust out the TBR list. Brittany, as a county library employee, what are the books on the top of your to-be-read summer stack? There are so many, it's almost embarrassing. One of the books that's on the top of my list is Tress of the Emerald Sea by Brandon Sanderson, who is really known for his fantasy books and for finishing the Wheel of Time series that Robert Jordan did. Tress of the Emerald Sea has been compared in reviews to The Princess Bride, and I believe the story behind this one is that he wrote it during lockdown for his wife and then got a Kickstarter campaign to actually bring the book to publication. It sounds really fun, and the cover is beautiful. I'm totally drawn into it. So that's on the top. Along with the making of another major motion picture masterpiece by the one and only Tom Hanks, his short story collection that came out a few years ago was really good. And so this novel is something I'm really looking forward to. So those are some of your top picks. Can you tell us what seems to be the book everyone's trying to get their hands on this summer? One of them is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, which to my understanding, because I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, is a sort of reinterpretation of the capital G, capital L, great literary work, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. And that one has had a huge list for people waiting for it. Anything Colleen Hoover also has been going like crazy. Do you have any recommendations for alternate routes to take if Demon Copperhead or one of those other highly sought after books is checked out? If you are brave, which you should be, I would recommend trying the online resources available through the library. So these include Hoopla Digital and Libby. Both of these allow you to check out ebooks and audiobooks free with your library card. It's amazing. Hoopla Digital right now has Demon Copperhead, I believe an audiobook, as well as a book called Remarkably Bright Creatures, which has been another pretty long hold list that's been petering down. And on Hoopla, it's an instant download. So with your library card, you can immediately get access to 10 items per month, and you get to read it on your computer, on your mobile device, and we're happy to help you walk through the process too. Is there a genre of the summer that's emerging this year? I don't know that there's something that emerges. I compare it to films in that we have Oscar season and summer blockbusters. So I think for most of the year, we feel a little obligated to read great books and good fiction. And then in the summer, we think we can take a break. So really, it usually means murder mysteries, thrillers, romance, things that don't hit you over the head with really deep lessons. 
I would point to Becky Chambers' A Psalm for the Wild Built and A Prayer for the Crown Shy, which are both books under 200 pages. They're science fiction, but they have great discussions of gender, politics, humans and nature, technology, and it's all crammed into these little tiny sci-fi books. So I think you're allowing yourself in the summer freedom to read that sort of thing and say, it's a summer blockbuster kind of book, but you're still going to get a lot of good stuff out of it. Another one is Summer Reading by Jen McKinley and picked it up for the cover. I'm not going to lie to you. I judge books by the cover. And that one looked so beachy. And I just thought, I'm not going to make it to the beach this summer, but I can pretend as I sit in our 100 degree heat that I'm somewhere with water crashing against the beach. Books can be difficult to recommend because people can be in very different moods for what they're hoping to read. I take it you've brought some very specific recommendations just in case they align with anyone's current state. Why, Kelly? Funny you should ask that. The book I would recommend for fans of escaping into a good book. If you love books, if you feel like you just want to read about books, there are actually two I would recommend. First, Worth the Hype, Matt Haig's Midnight Library. It deals with depression and alternate lives that we could live and how books affect us. But the other one is The Cat Who Saved Books, and you might not have heard of this. The author is Sosuke Natsukawa, and this book, there is a young man dealing with a very hard time in his life, and a magical talking cat comes to ask him to help save books, and it is completely magical. You will be blown away by it. Where do those both rank on the cry scale? Well, I cry at dog food commercials, so my cry scale is a little skewed. I would say Midnight Library, you'll need Kleenex. Depending on where you are in your life, I think it'll hit you differently. Cat Who Saved Books, I was basically sobbing the entire way through. Some people love a nonchalant reading pace or don't need any incentive to get through the books in various piles around their room, not that I'm referring to anyone in particular, but for those who like a bit of competition or need that extra motivation, can you talk about the library's summer reading challenge? Yes. You could stop by the library and pick up one of our TBR bookmarks or bingo cards. So for adults this summer, we don't have any prizes for completing these challenges because the prize is that you get to take books off of your TBR list. It's all about the journey, adults. The challenge includes things like you chose this book for the cover. You could also choose a book that's set in California. It could be a classic you haven't read yet. Mine would probably be Catcher in the Rye. We'll see if I ever get to that. Maybe, maybe someday. That's really low on the TBR list. Thanks for joining me, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. Happy summer reading. You also. Good luck with the TBR list. Thank you. Tune in next month for the second edition of What You're Reading with one of Brittany's library cohorts. For even more summer reading recommendations, listen to the extended version of What You're Reading at kvmr.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Democracy Now! says yesterday was the hottest day ever recorded on Earth. They add up temperatures all over the world to get an average. It was 91 degrees Fahrenheit in my driveway, but 63 globally. That sounds moderate. But it's not. It's horrifying. 
In southern France it was 73, as many young men in lycra shorts peddled through green countryside between Dax and Nagaro in stage four of the famous Tour de France bike race. I'd never heard of Dax or Nagaro, nor watched the tour, but after finding a documentary about last year's race, I've become slightly obsessed. I don't ordinarily put up with televised sporting events, but I like learning things, and that show taught me how much goes on in this contest, strategy and tactics, for instance, and massive amounts of teamwork. What I had assumed was 176 international riders in tip-top shape, all hoping to win, turns out to be quite wrong. The tour is like two marathons, a sport I do understand, one after another, and at the very end, a frantic game of chess. They do this over and over for 21 days. Each stage takes about five hours. I've watched four days of this, hour by hour, but it was a holiday weekend. Some of us have to go back to work, just saying. Now that I have the general idea, I may be reduced to highlight reels. But part of the job of being a fan is steady support. It's a bit unfair to make them keep riding at 41 kilometers an hour while I lark around making a living and doing laundry. I want to encourage the announcers, too almost all of whom raced in their youth. Talking for that long, sometimes about the most tangential things to fill empty air, is not easy. I'm hoping one will suddenly shout, Look, it's a Townsend's Warbler! as a drone zooms in, but as yet no such luck. It's just castles, arenas, topography. There have been surprising surprises, though, and this is why we watch. A local-to-me rider, the first Native American in the tour, is wearing a polka dot shirt, prized for getting up more hills the fastest, and named King of the Mountain. First and second place in the opening stage, way back last Friday, were English twins. You know screenwriters are right now fictionalizing this for the multiplex and conjuring rivalries out of thin air. No one has died yet, but you can see how it happens, everyone so close together and going that fast. One walnut on the road could do it. This is mainly a white sport full of Europeans, though a prominent team is from the UAE. The sole black rider is a sprinter from Eritrea. And of course, there are no girls. During the undramatic minutes, a person could practice translating from kilometers to miles and back, but so far she has not. Do all the British say kilometers like this announcer while I emphasize the O? A person could also translate from Fahrenheit to Celsius and back again while watching the planet's destruction. But like many humans, her thinking has always been, oh geez, let's do the math later. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
That's our newscast for this Thursday, July 6th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you, and from You Bet Bicycle Sales and Service in Nevada City. Locally owned, open 10 a.m. Monday through Saturday. Specializing in sales and service for mountain bikes, gravel, and e-bikes. Offering tune-ups, suspension work, wheel building, plus trail advice. YouBetBike.com And Prime House Direct, offering a two-day truckload sale of steak, chicken, seafood, and pork. From 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., July 5th and 6th, at Top This Outfitters, 745 South Auburn Street in Grass Valley. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Gem. Have a great night.